0: Are you aware of current events? Have you been paying attention to what's going on in the world around you? Have you been watching uh, the real news, not the mainstream media, and keeping an eye on the insanity that seems to, pre- to be pervading so much of the world around us? Uh, it seems very clear that America and much of the world uh, seems to be going insane when you read the headlines and you look at what's happening. But as Christians... We get to have a very unique perspective on all these things as the world uh, struggles to find meaning, and uh, so many seem to be slipping into a state of hopelessness as Christians because we actually are blessed to know what the end result is of everything. We get to live in the joy of Christ. We get to understand that all these things are happening according to God's plan. Uh, welcome to The Way Radio. This is Pastor Chad Prigmore, and today I'm going to share a sermon I preached a couple weeks ago. It's called Be Strong in the Lord. It's based on Ephesians 6, 10-18, and we are to put on the whole armor of God, and we are to be strong in the Lord. And because of that, uh, we will persevere, we will endure in spite of the insanity that's taking place around us. I hope you enjoy it. So the title of the sermon today is Be Strong in the Lord, and I haven't done this in a while. Um, for a while, about every six months, I was getting into current events and what's going on in the world, and that's something that I wanted to talk about today. So I'm just calling this introduction, Let's See What's Happening in the World, and it's a great precursor, <coughs> and it shows why I'm preaching on why it's important to be strong in the Lord, based on Ephesians 10, uh, 6, 10 through 18. This is some headlines in the news today. Church Stampede leaves 20 dead after pastor pours holy oil on the ground. Part of the article says, Pastor Boniface Amwamposa, who heads the Arise and Shine ministry and calls himself the Apostle, reportedly poured holy oil on the ground, prompting the crowd to surge forward in the hopes of touching it. The rush to be anointed by the oil led to people crushing one another, resulting in the deaths of 20, uh, 20 people and 16 people injured, Reuters reports. This is, in, I think it was in Tanzania. Folks, this is the fruit of the new Apostolic really? Reformation. I mean, this is exactly what happens with this kind of a heretical circus growing so fast all over the world. Um, it's, it's horrific says in the Bible, God is not a God of confusion. Mm-hmm. You see, the true church doesn't trample over each other and kill each other to touch holy oil that the so-called apostle has poured on the ground. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrific to even consider. A mass stabbing on London Street as terror suspect is shot dead by cops. RT News says the police confirm London stabbing is Islamist-related. Report claims attacker was also on police watch list. <laughs> Just like the guy that they stopped, some passers-by stopped, I think, a month or two ago. I think it was on London Bridge in London. Again, it was somebody else that was on the police watch list, but because of affirmative, not affirmative action, but because of political pressure, uh, these guys on these watch lists are allowed to walk around in public because we don't want to oppress someone of a certain religious persuasion. Um, another headline, liberalism cesspit. Tech giants have turned San Francisco into a dystopian nightmare. Part of the article says, a street cleaner showed me a box filled with used syringes that he had collected. Then I met two charity workers picking up needles from the pavement. How many do you find a day, I asked. Between 300 and 600, depending on the weather, one replies. I don't know if you guys have kept up with what's going on in San Francisco. Oh yeah, yeah. They say it's, it's almost you can't even explain what downtown San Francisco is like. Um, and I know Los Angeles. We started our ministry, you know, helping the homeless on Skid Row in LA, and they say that has grown just multiplied ten times over since since we were there. It's they just spread out. All those bills going to start to plague again. What's that? San Francisco's gonna start reading drums the plane. Yeah, there's a good chance of that. Yeah, it's horrific what's happening. Um, Fears of new virus trigger anti-China sentiment worldwide. We can see this coming, this virus that started uh, in a market in Wuhan, China. And from what I've been able to read is in this market, they were selling things to eat, exotic animals, snakes, bats. And they say this is probably where this virus started in China, but now what we're seeing is everybody's paranoid of being around Asian people, um, which is not the way to handle the situation. It's like after uh, 9-11, people were actually beating up Indian Sikhs. They would see an Indian Sikh walking down the street in America with the turban on their head, and they would beat him up because they didn't realize a Sikh is not a Muslim. You see, we can't run away from all Asians because there's this <laughs> disease that started over there. But that's what's starting to happen in a lot of places. But we do have a very real problem with the coronavirus that is that has come out from China. Regarding Kenya, this it's close to home for us. Locusts swarm in, into Kenya mm-hmm. as UN warns of, of extreme danger to food supply. It says the UN has warned of a significant and extremely dangerous escalation in the number of desert locusts descending on Kenya as the government strives to contain the threat before it reaches the country's food-producing regions. The tropical grasshoppers have been wreaking havoc on Kenya's neighbors to the north and east, devouring tens of thousands of hectares of crops in Ethiopia and Somalia since last June. Swarms crossed over into northeast Kenya on December 28th. In a statement released on Monday, the UN's food and agriculture organization, the FAO, predicted that their potential spread could include the breadbasket counties of central Kenya. If it does, the insects could destroy crucial parts of the country's food supply at a time when food insecurity is already on the rise owing to droughts and floods last year. This is this is amazing, this statistic right here. Each square kilometer of locusts in a swarm can eat as much in a day as 35,000 people. So every square kilometer of locusts can consume in one day what 35,000 people would consume. According to the FAO, FAO, one locust swarm seen in Kenya measured 2,400 square kilometers. Wow. Massive. Um, Says this is an unprecedented threat to food security and livelihoods across the Horn of Africa, the FAO said. Um, I asked Benson about this last week and he said, um, that when I spoke to him last week, he said there were swarms that were in uh, Narok. And Narok is actually one of the towns we stop in. Um, it's halfway between Kisi and Nairobi. And so they were just praying that the rains would stay in Kisi. Um, Kisi is more hilly. Narok, Narok is more of a lowland valley um, because the rain will keep them out. So they're praying that the rains stay and the swarm you know, goes around Kisi. But Narok is maybe a two-hour drive from Kesey, and he said that's where the swarms were coming through when I had asked him about it last week. Um, Earthquakes and volcanic eruptions everywhere. I mean, hardcore stuff. The reason I share this with you guys is because anybody that's read their Bible, what do you read about? Earthquakes? Locust swarms? (laughs) It's one of the plagues on Egypt, you know? I mean, this is stuff that when you read the Bible, you really have to look at and say, okay, what's the big picture in all this? What's really happening? Um, I'm not trying to paint a picture that's not there, but I think we have to be aware of what's going around on around us and have a biblical view of it. And that's what I hope that we can have today. Matthew 24, 1 through 14 says, Jesus left the temple... And was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, as I read through this portion of Scripture, I want you to understand that I view end times eschatological teaching of Scripture as something that's cyclical. If you look at the book of Revelation, I believe that that we're seeing cycles of history that play out in similar ways over and over again in history. If we look at the Old Testament, we see all these prefigures of Christ. The Passover of the Jews represented our being protected by the blood of Christ. And when Jesus was saying, you will see not one stone here will be left on another, that prophecy was fulfilled in AD 70, when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. But I think he's looking at more of a future prophecy as we look at verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? This is the end of time. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. Gives a very important teaching. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars hearing about that constantly right now it's been going on for years but i think anybody has to admit that in a geopolitical situation there's a lot of tense things that are happening right now with iran with china with north korea see that you are not alarmed for this must take place but the end is not yet for nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and you will be put to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. A lot of Americans don't seem to grasp that persecution is active and happening in the world right now. Christians are the most persecuted group in the world. Christians are dying for their faith as I speak right now all over the world. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. The great apostasy, we have to be in the midst of that. When you look at what's done in the name of Christianity. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Is there a greater picture of that than a guy claiming to be an apostle, pouring oil on the ground, saying this is holy oil, and the ignorant masses just run, kill each other, trying to get to it? And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. We sense that in the society around us. us. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The key word for us is endures. The one that endures to the end will be saved. We endure because we have the name of Christ. We live in dark and troubled times. The coronavirus outbreak, increasing geopolitical tensions, terrorism, earthquakes and other natural disasters, the locust swarms in Africa, the majority of modern Christianity, that's apostate. These are just facts of the times in which we live. And we've got to pay attention to what's going on around us. Matthew 16, 2-3, Jesus said he answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. This is when Jesus was rebuking the religious Jewish leaders at the time for not even recognizing that the Messiah who had been prophesied for thousands of years was standing in their midst preaching the gospel and they were so ignorant of the truth that they couldn't see the clear signs that pointed to him. But he was also speaking down through history to us saying pay attention to what's going on in the world, hold it up to the light of scripture. Know what the signs are around you. That doesn't mean that we become prophets you know, and tell everybody to go dig a hole, we're all going to live in this hole because the end of the world's coming. We don't know when the Lord's coming back. But we have to look at everything from a biblical perspective and be aware that the signs do point to the fact that we could be moving very close to the end times. As the, th- as the But the, the, the beauty of it is, as the darkness thickens, the light of the truth shines brighter. The true body of Christ grows stronger in unity. The word pierces deeper. The gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, demolishes the strongholds of Satan. See, and this is the paradox of Christianity. As it grows darker for those that are outside the body of Christ, and as the world spins more and more out of control, and there's more insanity and darkness, it's a time of rejoicing for the church because we're being being unified in a stronger way in the faith. We're walking closer with Christ. We're seeing his word carried out in the world around us, and we know that he's coming, you see? So for us, it can be a time of rejoicing. We've got to understand that. The lost in the world and the apostate church ignores what is happening around them. And this is the big lesson in this today. The lost in the world and the apostate church ignores what is happening around them. And I'm going to use an analogy and an example here that is going to make a lot of people mad in America. They continue in distraction and amusement. Super Bowl Sunday is America's glaring example of this. Millions of professing Christians will scream and shout for a team that they have no influence over, playing a game that is meaningless, but never engage in the battle for souls where they could have eternal effect and reward. Think about that. I know Christians that can that can tell you, the player on, on both teams, every position, they know every stat that there is, but they can't quote John 3.16. They can't tell you what the gospel is. You see? That's a severe problem. If you're in the world, fine, but if you're taking the name of Christ, you should know this, not about sports but in a societal context and from a cultural perspective what's happening in america and the refusal of people to pay attention to what's going on around them is very very is a very very severe problem there's something in if you study history specifically roman history it's called bread and circuses The definition of it is a diet of entertainment or political policies on which the masses are fed to keep them happy and docile. And I've got some quotes of different people in history commenting on that phrase, bread and circuses. One of the modern ones says, With football and politics as the bread and circuses of our decadent empire, wither religion. Where is religion? See? It also feeds nationalist hunger among the populace, making them proud of the achievements of their country, even while they realize that they live under an authoritarian and corrupt government, bread and circuses for the masses. Another one, and this kind of mass entertainment destroyed the morality of the Roman people, who no longer worked for a living, they lived on bread and circuses, on entertainment and the dole. See, the circus, that word circus came about largely from the Roman Empire when everybody would gather to see the circus. Christians fed to the lions, gladiators doing battle. They'd go to the Colosseum. The Roman powers understood that if we entertain the people, we keep them distracted, and they're caught up in watching gladiatorial battles. I mean, they would would literally fill the Colosseum with water and do sea battles. They would mimic sea battles and sea stories inside the Colosseum. It, it, it was entertainment on a grand scale. But that's where that term came about when, start, when Rome started to crumble, and those that were seeing what was going on were trying to warn people. They were like, the people are distracted by bread and circuses while their livelihoods is being ripped out from underneath them. See? They're being misled. It's said that the mainstream media is increasingly dominated by corporate interests, political spin, and bread and circuses postmodern PAP. To suggest that Roman numerals are not appropriate to enumerate the Super Bowl is to fail to understand the significance of bread and circuses in ancient Rome and, the connect- and their connection to the legendary circuses during Super Bowl week. Folks, we live in a world of distraction through entertainment and amusement and what it's done is it has crippled the populace's ability to think critically why is that important from a christian perspective christianity is not a stupid person's faith you see christians are thinkers you see christians are studiers we're analytical we grow in christ by absorbing his word by the power of the holy spirit and gaining wisdom, that requires critical thought. So one of Satan's tools down through history since the beginning of the church has been to try to get rid of critical thought, you see? And now it's gotten to the point literally of being insane to where a common argument in our society is, what is truth, you see? You have one truth, I have another truth. You know, once you get to that point, then everything just falls apart. It's just like like the Christian faith. If you step outside the authority and sufficiency of Scripture as the ultimate truth, the ultimate guide of how we are to live and to test everything in our life as Christians, if you say there's revelation beyond that, anything goes. Every false religion since the beginning of the church has had to step outside of the canon of Scripture. Otherwise, what? They fall apart. Because the Scripture kills it, you see? But that's what's happening in our society. If you take away people's ability to think, you can control them by entertaining them, by giving them bread and circuses. And from a Christian perspective, you're not going to be able to get the gospel across because people won't even listen to it. You see? It's it's, it's sad. But as Christians, we're at a point in time, and we've always been at this point in time since the beginning of the church, That we have to make a decision to either not be conformed to the world or be conformed to the world. To be either hot or cold for Christ. To be either zealous or timid and apathetic. You see? Christ said, be either hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. I'll spit you out of my mouth. See? You want a commitment. If you're going to be a committed Atheist, be a committed atheist, but if you're going to be a committed Christian, be committed to Christ wholly, you see? I mean, one thing I'd like to take from the Muslims is their zeal and fervency for their religion, you see? Those guys have a zeal and a fervency for what they believe. It's evil and it's wrong, but they strap bombs around themselves in the name of Allah, you see? You see? Most Christians won't profess Christ at a party with unbelievers because they don't want to you know, get kicked out. Like Tracy said a few weeks ago, she got kicked out of a dinner she's been going to for who knows how long, once a month. Why? She shared the gospel. Now she's no longer invited. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that that happened. She was counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. You see? So the point I'm trying to make is I'm not trying to to be dark. All this stuff's going on. We just need to, you know, take a Valium and curl up and start watching Netflix or whatever. But as a pastor, you've got to make the decision. Am I going to stand up here and tell everybody what they want to hear or just pick out the good parts of the Bible that's going to make everybody floaty and happy as they leave on Sunday? Or are we really going to look at what's going on in the world and say, okay, this is how we have to look at this. See, we've got to be aware of what's going on around us, and we've got to have the proper perspective because there's so much going on. Those in Christ must be looking to Christ, being wise unto salvation, engaged in the cause of the gospel, encouraging, edifying, and strengthening ourselves and one another. We rejoice always, and we pray without ceasing. Luke 12, 35-48 says... Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. This is Christ, and he's preaching this. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. He's talking about the period that we're in right now. Christ has gone to prepare a place for us. We are the bride of Christ. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Notice he uses the word awake, thinking critically studying the word, active in the battle. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Our king, Christ, is going to serve us at the royal feast with him. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Which watch are we in right now? I don't know. But I think you could talk to anybody that's been in the military or been on a, a ship at sea and you've had those watches. You know, the second and third watch, that's like the coldest part of the night, it's like four or five in the morning. And you're thinking, nothing's happened. We're in safe waters. I could snooze for an hour. You see? Okay, saying, so blessed are those servants who are awake even in the darkest watches of the night. But know this, that if the master of the house, now who's he referring to? If the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, who's the master of the house? Who's the thief in this analogy? The master of the house is Satan. The thief is Christ. See? If the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Satan thinks he owns this world. He thinks he owns everyone in it. Christ is going to come and crush him and take what he thinks this is his because he's redeemed it. Peter said, "Lord, are you telling this parable for for us, for us or for all?" And the Lord said, "Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household?" to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Now, who is he talking about there? Who is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household? He's talking about pastors. He's talking about fathers. He's talking about mothers. He's talking about Christians who are discipling other believers. And what are we doing? We're giving them their portion of food at the proper time. We're feeding ourselves. We're feeding the flock with the body of Christ, with the word. We're not being lazy about it. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. I've shared that before. One of my things that grates on me is when people say there's going to be a rapture, the Lord's going to take the church away, and then we've got seven years of tribulation. I'm so glad I don't have to be here for that. What does that make people do? It makes them sit down on the sideline. Say, I know I'm saved. I can just chill. Christ is going to come back, save me, and then all the bad stuff happens. No, he wants you in the battle when he comes back. That's what he's talking about. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes back. We will be in the battle. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Now listen, to this is sort of a different series of severity here. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming... And begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know him, know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. He's talking about impostors here. When he's talking about beating the male and female servants and abusing them, I believe that is false teachings. You see? When that false teacher, that false apostle, that false prophet stands and spews his garbage and tells people that it's in the name of Christ, that it's a Christian message, that is beating those people up. You see? He's not faithful to the message. They will be cast out. That's what it's talking about. That's one way of looking at it. Then the next one, and that servant who knew his master's will, this is a believer but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. So this is someone who knew the master's will, but what was lazy. I'm a Christian. I know I'm in Christ. But I don't preach the gospel. I don't engage engage in missions. I don't give. I don't support. I don't do anything other than take the name of Christ. There's a lot of true believers in that situation. Christ is saying that's not acceptable. But though now look at this, but the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. So there will be believers who go their whole life in much ignorance. Maybe our believers elect, but they don't understand what their responsibility is. You see? But the moral of it is, the last sentence, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So what's he telling us? If you've been blessed to be brought to faith in Jesus Christ, to be regenerated, born again in him, to take his name, and to respond when he says, follow me, you've been given much. see? And if you're someone that studies the Bible, if you're someone that comes every Sunday and you hear messages that are actually from the Word and are edifying you and strengthening you, you've been given much. Much will be required. See? The pastor sort of puts you in a spot. You <laughs> See what I mean? When you're really teaching the Word. But it's a blessing. Because we're in Christ, we want to do more. We don't want to be lukewarm. We want to be on fire for Christ. We want to be zealous for Christ. We want to be engaged in the cause of the gospel. So we need to be aware of what is happening in the world. We need to pay attention. We need to have an eternal perspective, and we need to look to Christ. We need to hold everything up to the light of Scripture and test the spirits. And I'm not just saying in in the context of false teachings. Hold everything up to the light of Scripture. That's why it interests me when I hear there's been another big earthquake or there's a a locust swarm moving through East Africa or there's a plague starting in China or an epidemic, whatever it is. You don't look at it like this is the end of the times. You know, we need to get ready. The Lord's coming back. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. But automatically our mind should be, where does this fit into scripture? How do I interpret this? How do I digest this as a Christian? That's the point I'm trying to get across. Because you can make a choice as we walk through this world. We can just turn on the TV. We can go watch the Super Bowl and pay attention to all the stuff the world throws at us and ignore what's really going on. Or we could strive for to be intelligent, critical thinkers, looking at what's going on in the world and, and filtering it through the light of Scripture, through the lens of Scripture. How do I interpret this? And why is that important? Obviously, because it helps us in our Christian walk, and it will keep us sane as the world is going insane. Because we will know how to look at it. You see? Because the world's just trying to figure everything out. It's like I said, when I was out there in the world, I just went from one belief system to the next. You get all excited about it. You know, I went to a seminar, and there's this... Buddhist guy talking, and it was just so inspiring, it's so enlightening, I know this is the way for me, people do that all the time, you know, and then two or three years down the road, they run into somebody they haven't seen, are you really into the Buddhist thing, oh no, I'm into Hinduism now, you know what I mean, I mean, that's just how it is, you see, I mean, it's just one thing after the other, because the world can't figure things out, but as Christians, we literally have the lens that makes everything make sense, So we're protected. So this message today, it's not meant to be fatalistic. It's a call to be wise and to rise above the mindless masses who refuse to engage in critical thought. The word of God is the only way to make sense and to live fruitfully as the world spins out of control. And as the world gets crazier, one of Satan's, his, his main attack is souls. He wants to corrupt the gospel. He wants to keep the lost in bondage. And he wants to try to get anybody he can out of Christ's true church. He wants to destroy people. Says, so sin crouches at the door. The devil roars around like a, a raging lion seeking someone to devour. But he can't touch those in Christ. Why? because we put on his armor. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We're strong in the Lord through prayer, through the study of the word, through obedience. See, we don't just take the name of Christ as Savior, we take the name of Christ as Lord. He saves us and we serve him obediently, through fellowship, faith, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is understanding and, and relying on things that we can't see. True faith. Service. The more we serve, the stronger we get. Again, it's that rivers of living water. It's, it's the, the paradox of grace. The more grace we expend, the more grace we have. You see? And it's all by grace. We are strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might because of his grace working in us. Ephesians 6, 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. How much clearer could it be that when we are called to follow Christ, we are stepping onto a battlefield, a spiritual battlefield. First Timothy 6, 11 through 14. This is Paul writing for Timothy, writing to Timothy, and he's basically trying to get across to him what I'm trying to get across today. He says, "But as for you, O man of God, flee these things." He's talking about the things of the world. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which made the good, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you. In the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul just wasn't saying, Timothy, do your best. I'm praying for you. Try to stick to the word. You know, Don't veer too much from the truth of the gospel. No, he says, I charge you to do what you're called to do. He didn't leave him any wiggle room, you see? And then again in 2 Timothy 4, 1-7, through 7, Paul's writing to Timothy again. And he uses the same phrase. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. That's a heavy command. Now, was he just talking to Timothy? No, oh, he's talking to every one of us. It's like I've said, we're all in Christian ministry. When you take the name of Christ, you've entered the battlefield, you're in Christian ministry. So he charges you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That is now. By having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Justin and I were just talking before the service. He sent me something where they were advertising Bethel's coming to town with their circus to lead people astray. We posted some stuff on there exposing Bethel. A couple other guys posted it. Nobody cares. All the other people are so excited. Are you going? I'm going. You want to stay at my house? That's all good. Nobody pays attention to the warning. Why? Their ears are being tickled. You see? doing is trying to kill their golden calf but they love that golden calf you see that's what Bethel is to them so they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths as for you always be sober-minded endure suffering do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul knew he was going to die. The Romans were going to put him to death for his faith. Look at how strongly he preached the gospel to Timothy. No recommendation. I charge you. You see? He continues in Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, all the garbage that we see taking place is an effect of what is happening in the spiritual realm around us. What we see happening around us is affected by what we do not see. Everything that's taking place in the world, all the evil, the darkness, the sickness, it's all a result of the spiritual battle that's being waged for what? Our souls. See? All of our spiritual strength and courage are from God by His grace. And our spiritual strength and courage sustains us while we're in the flesh as well. Sustains us as we walk through this world in the flesh. We're sustained physically by our spiritual power in Christ. Ephesians 6.13 Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Our only hope, our only strength, our only protection comes from Jesus Christ. And we come to know Jesus Christ only through God's word as we're guided by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6.14 Stand therefore, now pick, Paul he wrote in a beautiful visual way. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The belt of truth is the truth of the gospel. It's the inward spiritual truths that we're armed with. Again, Second Timothy three fourteen through seventeen. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work, the authority and sufficiency of Scripture." The breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of the spotless purity of Jesus Christ that's imputed to believers. We put that on when we follow Christ. Philippians 3, 8 through 9. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, Paul understood what it was to try to nurture and create and earn his own righteousness, and he knew it was a waste. So he counted it all as lost. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Ephesians 6.15. Now he's talking about your feet. Ask. ask and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The readiness given by the gospel of peace. Why is he talking about your feet? Because we are encouraged and we're inspired by the gospel. We're guided by the Holy Spirit. We have a firm footing. If you read the Psalms, David often talks about being set in a wide open place and his feet are firm. The Lord doesn't let him slip. And we're ready to move and to go when we're called, see that's that's like Kenya for me. You see, that's that's one of the the every all of us are blessed as we go through this in one area maybe more than others. And with me, it's the shoes. He's opened this door for me to go there and to help these people and to preach. I'm taking this message with me. I want the pastors to absorb this message so much. We've got to be ready to move and to go when we're called. Ephesians 6.16 In all circumstances Now he's talking about the shield Take up the shield of faith With which you can extinguish All the flaming darts of the evil one It's an unwavering, strong, vibrant Bold faith in Christ That was my weakness See this is why I love Christian experience What happened on that last trip See I got to the end of my faith I wanted to turn around and come home and hide Because I was fearful about what was going to happen It's that death threat thing. But what happened? God said, no, here's your shield. He used that woman next to me on the plane to give me the the strength I needed. He said, here's your shield of faith. Stand behind that. Don't ever question it again. And he's done that with all of us in different ways. We should all have stories about that as Christians. Well, we've gotten to the end of our own strength and faith. And God gives us that shield again. He says, hold this up. You're protected. Ephesians 6, 17. Now, you picture the helmet. So you're picturing a warrior being clothed or armed. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Salvation is to be the most carefully defended. It's our hope, which keeps us from despair and instead trusting and rejoicing in God. Every soldier, the first thing you're going to protect more than anything is your head. We have only one weapon of attack, the word of God faithfully and prayerfully used. Matthew Henry said a single text, he's talking about biblical text, well understood and rightly applied at once destroys a temptation or an objection and subdues the most formidable adversary. That's how powerful God's word is. Christ used the word when he was tempted by Satan. One of the best lessons we have against temptation. As it is written, as it is written, as it is written. Now notice what he doesn't talk about in this. The back. He doesn't talk about the back being covered. See? So the lesson for us in that is that we face our enemy. We attack with the sword. We guard ourselves with the shield of faith. We don't turn our back on our enemy. That's common sense. See? Because we're not dealing with an enemy that's honorable. You know, no soldier wants to stab his enemy in the back. You want to fight face to face. You want to kill the guy honorably, or you want to die honorably. You don't want to die from a blow in the back. You don't want to kill somebody from a blow in the back. Soldiers fight face to face. So we don't turn our back on our enemy. And then Ephesians 6, 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, again, in the spirit, spiritual warfare, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So prayer is what buckles on all the parts of the Christian armor. See, as Christians, as we read through that, we should look at each part of that armor and say, this is a part that I'm a little weak in. We should pray about this. We should always be Analyzing <clears throat> our walk and our Christian faith. Do I need to study the word more? Is my faith lacking? Am I timid when it comes time to use the sword of the, of, the, of the word? See? This is how we grow in strength in Christ. Philippians 4 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say <laughs> rejoice. Let your reasonab- reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer cannot be overstated in the Christian walk. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. We should always be at some level of prayer as Christians. Thank you for listening to The Way Radio. You can find us on the web at thewayradio.net. If you'd like to email me with questions or comments, you can do so. And you can send that to chad at Way, the letter R, 122.org. Until next time, God bless.